This podcast is recorded on stolen and unceded Aboriginal land. We acknowledge the First Nations and elders of this country and we join their calls for justice. All right, we're legally required to talk about Taylor Swift very quickly As before we get into the news. As a podcast, <laughs> there's no, nothing else to discuss. Every, every radio, every TV show, every, Taylor, yeah. Taylor, Taylar, Taylor, Taylor. <laughs> uh, people are familiar that Everald Moon is a big Swifty fan, loves her, wants to kiss her, wants to make love to her, wants to marry her. Shut up. Did not get tickets to, to the gig. <laughs> Yeah, although, but I was saying. Was trying to get them while recording an episode of Serious Danger. I, very Two episodes, actually, I think. I was on the fucking page waiting, waiting, waiting to be let in. I was never let in, which feels politically motivated. Like I, I we don't know at this stage what control Labor had over that process, but I'm not willing <laughs> out interference. Um, <laughs> but you, like a couple of people, you were asking me, Tom, if I feel, if I'm feeling the FOMO. Mm. And I was like, no, I'm too much of a contrarian. Brilliant. And so everyone being really excited about Taylor and like all the coverage makes me be like, I'm glad I'm not there. She's sold out really, hasn't she? She used to be cool at India and just right. like. Just yeah, an, yeah. Just an <laughs> I knew when she'd only sold, you know, 50 million records. So I don't know, just kind of deep like that. Well, of course, we've talked. We did an entire Patreon episode about Taylor Swift's politics, and you definitely check that out. Please support us on Patreon. Uh, have a listen to it. I'm, I'm fascinated by her as a phenomenon and the way that her, her insane, massive popularity uh, intersects with political issues and stuff. Not that I don't think mm. she's got some good songs, yada, yada, yada. But there was the most Saturday paper article of all time published on this, uh, The Exclusionary Empowerment of Taylor Swift. The success and scale of Taylor Swift's Australian tour reflects the country's unresolved relationship with class, gender, and race by Santilla Chingapi. I'm very sorry if I'm absolutely butchering that, but uh, I'm not familiar with how to pronounce that surname. What does that mean? So have you read, you said you'd skimmed, I've skimmed. this article. <laughs> I've skimmed. <laughs> What's the, well, and, and the, uh, it's like everyone likes her because she's white. Uh, I think it is more a critique of Taylor Swift having this incredible platform popularity and yet her music doesn't discuss important issues. She's not tackling the big issues um, with this incredible platform. You listen to, is it Miss Americana and the Heartbreak Prince? What's that about? It's kind of about politics. <laughs> Just politics. Mm, mm. I love the generic um, political pop song. Song about politics. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Justin Bieber I'm has a song. I'm doing my song about politics. Well, because this is she had the moment where she's like, I'm going to talk about politics, and then she does a song that's kind of like, the world's really hard, but yeah. at least we've got each other. Let's be nice <laughs> to each other. Justin Bieber has this song called Children that is – the most oh. ridiculous. What about the children? Look at all the children we can change. What yeah. about a vision? Be a visionary for change. We're mm. the generation. Who's going to be the one to fight for it? We're the inspiration. Do you believe enough to die for it? For what, what Justin? Do you think what, about- are you, what are you talking about? I mean, no one will ever outdo Where is the Love by Black Eyed Peas. <laughs> yes. Which actually, yeah, like I'm still, it comes on in the gym, gym sometimes. I'm still torn on whether it is actually like a kind of poignant, like, or meaningful set of lyrics or if it's just another one of those songs that's like come on guys what no people, no war let's just dance people laughing people crying people killing people dying children hurting i hear them crying can you practice what you preach and would you rather turn the other cheek well the, yeah the chorus is not so good but then i think that the verses have some interesting anyway that's mm. yeah i don't know i mean yep it's it's taylor Ta- I, it is 
I just want to know how long it's going to last because it cannot last forever. She has managed to, and she says this herself, that she has been fascinated. Taylor Swift being fascinated. Like she's surprised yes. that she's been able to hold on to her fame and influence this long. Uh, she always talks about, you know, getting uh, women in particular being pushed out of the industry as soon as they hit 27 or whatever. And so it can't go on forever. But as I've heard of, I think it was maybe on the Shameless podcast, which I also listened to uh, about pop culture and just the fact that there is always someone who is or a family in the case of the Kardashians, for example, or a band, you know, whether it's the Beatles going going back. But there's always a celebrity who is so all-inclipsing that you just get so fucking sick of them and you're like, it's never been this bad. Mm. Um, but I'm sure it can get worse. <laughs> There'll be someone who will be more all-inclipsing than Taylor Swift. We haven't even met them yet. God. Swift's audience is overwhelmingly white women and girls. She exists in an apolitical world that refuses to engage with the social and political issues around her. If she does, the focus is squarely on the men who wronged her, romantically or professionally. Some will argue otherwise, pointing to the fact that she's a self-made businesswoman who took control of her narrative. I don't dispute this, but equally, she's found a way to commodify herself to build a billion-dollar brand. Isn't that what? Isn't that all art? That's all. Yeah, like or or expression when you're talking about yourself. What do you? Yeah. As a self-declared feminist, Swift made her mark by excavating her interior life as a thin and pretty blonde-haired teenager who played the guitar and could sing. Despite growing out of her teens and filming into her 30s, Swift's art remains stuck in this permanent state of aspirational girlhood, aided by the fact she's childless. And it is this seemingly innocent and wholesome world into which many are drawn. Ah. I this feels like someone who hasn't really followed Taylor Swift too closely. Like I agree, maybe up to a certain point, but then she had the whole moment where she was like, "I'm growing up now, and I'm a woman now, and I'm talking about drugs, and I'm talking about you know drinking and other people's stories and complex you know affairs and whatever." Mm. I don't know depression. I'm sorry, like, there's a bit of a gendered critique. I mean, dudes have been writing love songs about heartbreak forever, but apparently Taylor Swift does a bunch of songs about her life and her relationships and she's like what a, a messy bitch she loves drama like it, it's yeah i think there's like a weird kind of no, dismissal yeah. of that to me but i don't know look there's just no other take on taylor swift other than that you have to acknowledge she's a good songwriter and we like listening to stuff that makes us feel good and like we like listening to good music and she's been able to make a very good living off that so well i think she there you she go. Take and and she's stimulating the she's stimulating the, you know, the podcast economy and the opinion piece economy more than perhaps anything. Like And the airlines. Didn't they add it 200 extra flights? Everyone's flight is delayed because everyone's crossing the yeah. country to see fucking Taylor. The share that she takes out with her um, you know, excessive private yes. flights in her private and very polluting jet, she then gives back to, to the private airline industry through through fans. So, you know. Last one here. I'm interested in your thoughts on this. During her first show in Melbourne, she told the audience, songwriting was something that actually gets me through my life. This may be true, but why then? After more than three decades on this planet, isn't she writing about things the rest of us women in our 30s are grappling with? The climate emergency being repeatedly failed by our political leaders, racial injustice, and the raging conflicts. Every artist has a right to make the work they want to, and pop music is not meant to challenge, but Taylor Swift's manipulation of her narrative for profit represents something greater. Whiteness will always work to protect what matters to it. Sing along, she seems to say, and you won't have to worry about all those people who don't have what you have. It's much safer to feel like an old cardigan than it is to feel like part of the problem. What? What is this? Well, hang on. Okay, hang on. (laughs) Like, yes, whiteness will protect... 
whiteness, but like, isn't it more a matter of sing along so that you don't have to worry about problems that are affecting all? It's not, it's not like you listen to feel better about yourself. I don't know. Mm. That's an interesting take. But yeah, where is Taylor Swift's song condemning Hamas? <laughs> <laughs> you gotta ask yourself. They are truly communists. These Greens are literally the worst possible person we can have in the parliament. I mean, these guys are true unicorn farmers. We're stuck with the hosts of Chapo Shithouse podcast. This is, this is, this is a serious danger for Australia. Hello, everyone. It's Serious Danger. It's another week. It's another episode. I'm Tom Ballard. That's Emerald Moon. Hello. This is a podcast about green politics in Australia. It's not an official Greens Party podcast. It is made possible with the help of the Green Institute, and it is produced by Michael the Griff Griffin, who before the show was like being like, oh, this Taylor stuff's so stupid or whatever, and then it seemed to know all the details. And then had like every piece of information about it, like was like, yeah, actually in the bonus set she conformed a medley of three songs, which is very unusual. Um, normally it would be one song. We're like, okay, I feel I feel like I'm, yeah, I'm really not following the news closely enough. I'm a terrible fan. <laughs> The Griff is a Swifty. A Grifty. Clearly. This week on the show, we're talking about what everyone else is talking about. Not Taylor Swift, but how evil the supermarkets are <laughs> after the Woolworths CEO melt, had a meltdown live <laughs> on the telly. And we'll go and watch that full Four Corners report. And we're going to talk about exactly how badly Coles and Woolworths are ripping you off and what left-wing people at the Greens are saying about that, which, what we should change to do that. Uh, big thanks to our new patrons, Mark, Meg, Olderbitch, Sue, and Christian. Thanks for going to Serious Danger AU on Patreon and chipping in just three bucks a month. You get bonus content. We love you. You help us make this show possible. And uh, thank you very much. Sweet bonus content every fortnight for you. Speaking of bonus content, if you just can't get enough of Tom and his lovely, wonderful thoughts, you have mm. a piece in, in Crikey that, that you would like people to read, Tom. Is that right? Yes. Cheeky plug. Cheeky plug. Uh, yes, I wrote an opinion piece about the stage three tax cuts and how the Labor's version of the stage three tax cuts are good, are better than, than the, the shit show that was the coalition's version, but it's still really bad because it's still giving away heaps of money to rich people and the Labor government should be keeping that money to spend it on things that make ordinary people's lives materially better. Call me crazy. Call me a communist. But that's just what I You're think. You're crazy. You're a crazy communist, Tom. Thank you very much. Uh, and you might want to check it out. I will say there was a – I read a fucking opinion piece for Bernard Keane at Crikey from December yeah. basically saying that progressive people should leave Labor alone and let them um, do the same three tax cuts. He sucks sometimes. He really like, does. Sometimes he's great. Most of the time he sucks actually. I've but read some yeah. good stuff from Bernard, but holy shit. It's just he like – terrible takes. And he has to admit it was wrong because he's like, oh, the, the yeah. blowback from the voters, if they change anything, will be, you know, will we'll, we'll disrupt the the multi-term so plan of government that Labor has. Oh, yeah. And it's like, well, they changed it and that didn't happen, Bernard, so yeah. mess up, bro. Yeah. Anyway, thank you for taking my piece. Crikey, I appreciate it very much. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to come and see us live, tickets are on sale now. We're doing that. Uh, we're doing another live show in Nam, Melbourne. Saturday, the 6th of April at 1.30 p.m. That's uh, not formally affiliated or associated with the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, but <laughs> happens to be on at the same time. So who knows? You might be around, might be watching some other comedy, might feel like coming over to see us at Comedy Republic. Uh, we'll put the link in the show notes. Please come see us. Our, our last live show was extremely fun. It's a, so just, it's a different energy and it's just good to get together and also like meet people after the show. So we'd love to see you there. You should buy tickets. That's not the only city we're doing, though, Emerald. That's right.
Japan. What other good cities are there in the world? Hmm. I can only think of one. Although Taylor Swift doesn't think it's good enough to go. She to, doesn't. Yeah, that's right. Unlike Taylor Swift, we care about Mange in <laughs> Brisbane, which is why we are doing another live show at Good Chat Comedy Club. Saturday, the 27th of April, 2 p.m. I promise, unless something really terrible happens, to be there this time. I missed our last one. I've never done a live show in Brisbane except for the one that we did at National Conference just for the Greens members exclusive. Doesn't quite count. So this one's exciting. Tickets are also on sale. How much are the the tickets, Tom? I can't remember. I believe they're going to be about uh, 20 bucks at uh, Good Chat. And more oh, in Melbourne for some reason. A bargain. <laughs> An absolute bargain. Yeah, of course. More in, more in Melbourne. That's right. If you, you could just, you know, may as well just fly to fly to Brisbane and, and come see us there. It's going to be – it's it's the good city I anyway. I think Qantas is adding about 200 extra flights to to just make sure people can get to To cope stuff. with demand. Yeah, that's mm. right. As they should. Yeah. That's going to be great. We'd love to have you along to those. Um, and just before we jump into the episode proper, we want to send a bit of love and solidarity to our cartoonist and friend of the mm. show, John Kadelka. We we talked last week about how our lovely friend Amy McMahon was in a car accident, is recovering. We're thinking of Amy as well. But people might have seen that John Kadelka announced that he is dealing with a brain tumor this week and is going mm. through some pretty intense stuff. We love you, John. John very kindly joined us for an episode of our Patreon uh, where we played Rusted on Bingo, we then unlocked that episode. So if you haven't seen it yet, you can watch it mm. in full on our YouTube channel if you so wish. But, yes, John, we think you're a brilliant cartoonist and a lovely yeah. dude and we hope you're okay. Yeah, love you. What about the children? Look at all the children we can change. What about a vision? Be a visionary for a change. You, in fact, will tell them what to grow and when and how. No, that is certainly not the case. The grower is completely independent. He is able to deal with us if he chooses and if it suits him. But on the other hand, if you're the only people to deal with, uh, he hasn't got much choice, has he? No, that would be true, but it is most unlikely that we will ever be the only people to deal with. Fired, fired. <laughs> oh, wait, but that's Coles. I was going to say fired, fired. Banducci is fired. Or we could go with... Um, the fired food people <laughs> anyway i don't know i'll work on something uh just wanted to talk about, about the four corners superpower episode we're talking about supermarkets again tom's laughing so i know i've said a good joke well you're the funny one uh, apparently yeah as evidenced by my my zinger intro just now um mm-hmm. did you watch the the four corners superpower episode this week on the the big two supermarkets and the, the nasty things they do to keep prices high and competition out. It's a crazy market power. Was it the next say about how capitalism doesn't really allow for that much competition at all and it actually fucks over ordinary consumers? So close, so close. I mean, it could have been. I feel as though what it became in my mind, and maybe I'm not very generous here of, of the, the public interpretation of this, but I feel like it just became a, wow, look at this stupid guy and now he's fired and that was the <laughs> outcome of the episode. I didn't. Yeah, I haven't watched the full episode. Uh, uh, full disclaimer: I know that you have, which I'm really interested to hear about that. That clip, of course, of Brad Bandish's uh, train wreck interview and him storming out went was everywhere. The risk people have is sorry. The former head of the Competition Commission says his words are that we have. By the way, I, I don't think you would impugn his integrity and his understanding of competition law. I'm just saying the world has got much more competitive. He retired 18 months ago. He's not... Okay, let's... Well, can we take that out? Is that okay? I should, 
I mean, he, he is retired, but I, I shouldn't have said that, Angus. Are, you, are we going to leave it in there if we are? Well, I mean, if, if we're on the record. You said it. I mean, you know, let's let's move on. But yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I think I'm done, guys. Uh, you know, I, I do this with good intent. You know, I don't do this with bad intent. No. You're walking out, really? No, no, no. Can we just talk to no, no, Brad for a second? Let me just. I thought it was remarkable how after it. We didn't hear anything much else about the actual episode. Like the episode. that was the moment. That was the most important thing. But um, yeah, I mean, look, anyone hating, you know, massive corporate executives and uh, that that fermenting public hatred of those figures, uh, I'm into that. I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the focus on CEOs is always interesting, right? Like, there's been a little bit of coverage on this. The ABC did this article that kind of compared. Brad Banducci, the Woolworths CEO who resigned after that train wreck um, interview, compared his exit to like Alan Joyce and the RBA governor, Philip Lowe, leaving, um, as they say, all three resignations came after heavy and sustained public criticism, which carried onto social media. Perhaps the question that the ABC article doesn't really go into is, does, does this mean that these CEOs just kind of act as a scapegoat to then, as a, a release valve? in a way, for, for pressure on these institutions who are fucking people over. Mm. But I don't know. Right. The hatred for these figures are because of the actions of the corporations or the bodies yeah. that they're the head of. So, and make yes, no mistake, cut off the head, evil. another one grows back. <laughs> like, yes, yeah. they're evil. Yes, sure. That's yeah, fine. Yeah. But, yes, you will find a new evil head to take the place. They just We won't know enough about how evil they are or associate them mm. with the same evil for quite a while until they prove their own evilness in their own evil actions. Yeah, there's no point in getting rid of them. I mean, I, t- I tweeted something like, thank God that guy's gone, the next CEO will be much better. Uh, I saw yeah. the Australian Greens posted my tweet and you can the, the screenshot that they've got just has a big follow button that indicates that they're not following me. So it's a little bit insulting, actually. I was like, oh. Owned. You want to post my content, you don't even fucking follow me, dogs. Um, <laughs> anyway, I, I, I mean, yeah, the, the thing about putting the CEOs under the microscope, maybe that is, maybe there's a, a political strategy to be like, if we can get people to see how evil and fucked these people are, then people will realize how evil and fucked the corporations are. I, I don't really know why else there was this real push from the Greens when they were getting up the supermarket price gouging inquiry. They one of the things Nick, Nick McKim, who's now chairing that that Senate inquiry, it was like we want to put we want to call CEOs to give evidence. Like we want to put CEOs under the microscope and hold CEOs accountable. Mm. Yeah, see CEOs are bad and and evil, but it's the system, man. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm just not sure about it all. Anyway, I mean, I mean, like, think of that brand Benedict clip. What, what's what? What uh, I felt like the conversation didn't really address is like, what was he actually talking about? Okay, right? yes. The question, the question being put to him was, Australia has one of the most concentrated mm. markets in the world. Okay, I thought this is like a very uncontroversial point, that, and he's like, no, that false. no one could possibly <laughs> deny it. He's like. No, that's not true. The guy who said that, Rob says he's retired. He doesn't yeah. know what he's saying. Then he's saying, oh, no, I don't want, actually want that to be the interview. And the journalist is like, well, yeah. you're on the record. And so therefore you should. And then he storms out, right? But it's like the idea the idea that you can seriously say that there is a healthy level of competition within Australia when we know mm-hmm. it, it is literally one of the most concentrated uh, markets when it comes to the airlines and insurance companies and the supermarkets. Like that's just a clear fact. It seems so mm-hmm. bizarre that he wouldn't even – admit that or acknowledge that yeah yeah well i mean i'm sure again there's a time for my my regular whinging about the state of of media that 
they realize that that kind of viral moment of someone basically cracking the shits and throwing a tanty is better for, for them and for views and therefore deemed like, like they would be more excited to capture that kind of moment as a journalist than they would necessarily to expose the structural like issue at play. Um, mm. And that just says something about, about media in general. But yes, I want, like, we'll get into actually what was being posited to, to Brother that he was, that he was disputing um, around the level of competition in the Australian kind of grocery markets. But mm. just quickly, yeah, great that that guy lost his job, but he's what, retiring? He's going to get $24 million. <laughs> that, I don't even understand how that works because they just, these people just have salary upon bonus salary upon extra car mm. and what, I don't know how it's all even worked out. And I guess maybe, I don't know if this takes into account, oh, it takes into account share entitlements because he gets like, a $3.79 million cash salary last year. And then you get share entitlements that bring it up to $8.65 million. And then reporting says that he'll retire with 24 million if targets are met, mm-hmm. whatever that fucking means. And I'm sure that their targets will be met because their targets will be all about profit and growth. And from this you know, episode, we absolutely know that they've been doing that. Because of the lack of uh, competition and their dominating market market power, yeah, uh, yeah, incredible. I mean, yeah, and I assume some you could leave as a CEO and hang on to your shares too, so you could just keep profiting mm. and just keep getting returns from the companies mm-hmm. as it uh, carries on as you leave. Yeah, um, but they are just keeping their prices as as low as possible and in mm. no way gouging the rest of us. Everyone, but yeah, they just they just yeah, the, 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 the extra money they have to give out these bonuses and stuff. That's just that's just a, a fundamental um, necessary expense as part of yeah. the business. That's the interesting thing about, so they had both him on as the, the CEO of Woolies and they had the CEO of Coles on and they had like different PR strategies clearly. Like he was just like flat out would just deny. He he was saying, oh, the, the price increases that you've seen on the shelves are in lockstep is the word he used with the price increases that have come from suppliers as a result of inflation. He said, we don't pass on anything more to the customer than is required. The Coles CEO was a little bit more, she would just kind of dodge around the issue. She would be like, oh, well, I want to look into that. Or, you know, we we do our best to work with suppliers and blah, blah, blah. Um, but but the evidence is is there that they are passing on, you know, more than they need to and that they're able to do that because of the way that they have just garnered such extreme power and control over the entire industry. And it kind of, the series goes into, you know, how they got to that place, how we got in in this situation and, and talks about, you know, the fact that they acquired a whole bunch of competitors before we even had competition laws, you know, things like Safeway and, and Bylo and everything. I don't know if no. you remember, like, did you ever have, we had a Bylo um, when I was going to do We had a Bilo. Safeway in Warnable, yes. You had Safeway. We, I, I actually, have you ever worked at a supermarket like when you were younger? Nope. Never worked for a supermarket. I do work for them now every time I have to check out my own grocery items every single day. That definitely no. counts. That definitely yep. counts. Um, my first job was at Malum's, which was the local supermarket, little one right in the main street of Malum, mm-hmm. been there forever. And then I left because it was getting bought out by Woolies. Yes, well, when I was in Mullum for my little comedy gig, Maddie Nolan was doing some very funny gear about the controversy surrounding the arrival of Woolworths in Mullum. People were furious. Was she talking about, yeah, everyone had these little I won't shop there stickers on their cars <laughs> and now you drive into the Woolies car park and you'll see cars with like half scratched off I won't shop there stickers because everyone's <laughs> like, well, I need to get my shit. Um, which it goes to exactly yeah. to the point that, you know, this is exactly what we're talking about, that it's all well and good. Like people are like, why don't you just shop somewhere else? And it's like, well, they have complete power 
over over the market. They are omnipresent. They have the power to set you know the prices. They set what the what the producers get. They set what the suppliers get. They set how you know vast majority like huge um, what workforce is treated because they have that incredible power because they bought all of this up and amassed that power before there were any regulations in place to stop them. And arguably, there still are completely inadequate regulations in place to, to stop them from wielding that power. So yeah, we're now in a situation where, and this is what, you know, the Four Corners doco kind of, of lays out, Coles and Woolies make up 65% of the grocery market, Aldi has about 10%, and then the remainder is independents like IGAs. Together, Coles and Woolies have around $84 billion in revenue. And what's interesting that, you know, the the Four Corners episode goes into is that this isn't a normal situation. Like in other countries, and in particular, the comparison that's often made is with the UK, there are five major chains in competition for one another for supermarkets. And in the US, there's even more. There's heat, like a pretty broad range. Um, we, did you, like, I wasn't aware of that, that we're not normal to just have literally two. No, I mean, yeah, we get the impression that it's sort of normal. I mean, in I mean, America, it's like Walmart. Again, a fact for my book. I think in 2018, Walmart raised more revenue than the Commonwealth of Australia. <laughs> I mean, not, yes, that's not to say that there aren't these huge, like, mega corporations <laughs> that are also yeah. price gouging consumers right. and fucking over workers. But and how, how uniquely concentrated the Australian market is. Yeah. Yes. Again, which is yeah. Again, the point that was being made to Brad Banducci in that interview, and that, that exactly yeah, people like to make is that you, you just kind of assume that oh yeah, in other countries they have supermarkets and there's probably a couple of big ones, but no, we're particularly bad. Mm, yes, and and more to the like even more to the point is that internationally or yeah, when compared with international markets, Australian supermarkets have a bigger bigger profit margin. So. Even just like an increase from 5.3% to 6% profit margin, which I believe is, you know, maybe the most recent financial year that they cited in Four Corners, that's an extra $318 million of profit. And yet, in another case of Brad Banducci, literally just being like, no, that's not the case. He was like, no, we just, we don't pass on anything more than what's required. And the Coles CEO goes, oh, well, you can't compare us to other markets like the UK because we operate against, we, we operate across a larger geographical area with, with fewer customers. And it's like, mm -hmm. that's just a line that literally we are talking about profit. Profit is the amount that you are making above and beyond your costs. Well, like from revenue, less your costs. So mm -hmm. you can't just say, oh, but it's because we have higher costs. This is purely about how much you are gouging out of consumers. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, I, I, I mean, yes, so the domination of Coles and Bullies, it, it also has this little, this interesting little kind of um, diversion where they go into them spreading into other markets. Talks about like wine, for example, Coles having this big private wine label, um, private label wines, and they track the production of this wine bottle that talks about this beautiful story from the Barossa Valley. They go to the Barossa Valley, uh, they find the church that's pictured on, on the label, and the, the locals are like, no, that is not produced here at all. I don't know where that would be produced. It turns out it's produced somewhere else completely. They've got a completely unrelated like story and location on the label. After the mm. interview, they go and remove references to the Barossa Valley, Valley from their online promotions. But like they are expanding so far with knowing that people don't want to buy necessarily just a Coles brand 
wine, but that they can still wield that enormous power in like every sector of the fucking economy. Oh, that's interesting. Someone was telling me about that little factor of the right. of the four corners piece, and it did sound a bit like that. Seems like very small potatoes, but is it being used as an example to demonstrate the kind of power that they that they yes. have that they can sort of wheel this shit out and get away with it? And I do. I have noticed in recent years the number of times I'm buying something and then I look as like, oh shit, this is just the Coles brand of the thing because it certainly yeah. doesn't look like it just based on the label. You think you're buying, you know, something else that isn't just the yeah, the, the supermarket brand. But I guess, yeah, Coles and Woolworths are so rich and powerful they can um, afford a, a wide range of graphic design and will do what yeah. they can to hide the fact that this is actually just their own product. Mm, which is just another one of the ways that they screw over producers, right? Like I think there's right. there's two main sides of this current moment around the big supermarkets being evil and suddenly everyone being really willing to acknowledge that. And the first of it is how much are they fucking over consumers with prices? And the second is how much are they fucking over producers and in particular, you know, farmers, but other suppliers as well. They, they go on four corners, they go and speak to this cherry grower in particular. Interestingly, they say that they were one of the only growers willing to speak with four corners. Now mm. there's an argument, and maybe this is the, the main argument that they would be unwilling to speak because of they fear re- retribution from Coles and Woolies. I also think though probably a lot of growers are doing dodgy shit themselves. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, treatment of treatment of workers. Like let's, mm. uh, they maybe don't want to let people into their factories. And you notice when they have when they're filming in this cherry processing factory, it is literally all young Asian workers. Um, that I'm like, how much are you? getting paid and anyway the whole the fruit fruit picking and fruit processing industry is maybe a whole other issue but this cherry grower is getting out of the market and that's why they were willing to speak to four corners and they spoke about the you know the way that their their prices are just pushed lower and lower and then coles will go and charge heaps more for it but also just more about that that power imbalance because growers are so wholly reliant on just these two um, mm. supermarkets that they can do whatever they want and even do things like he sends a shipment of 15 tons of cherries could be worth about $90,000 to Coles and they're just rejected. And he doesn't kind of clarify exactly what the reasons are, but he's like for no good reason. Um, and so he only then gets $5.8,000 on the seconds market, which would have a huge fucking impact on you, right? Like, and he has no real power to disagree because he's just reliant on them mm. yeah yeah and and, and and so and are the cherries growers are they competing with each other like do two different grow cherry people send cherries to the the two big supermarkets and they get to have their pick of that's a good question or? well i suppose so that's right like i'm sure that the more that you're willing to undercut your prices for coals like yes. they can pick and choose who they want so yes everyone is competing it's like the bachelor for and coals is <laughs> you know the bachelor and there's all the growers of the girls like desperately vying for this one <laughs> competing for those beautiful supermarket flowers that everyone loves yeah. <laughs> loves to receive yeah. a nice bunch of <laughs> <laughs> flowers that you can get from the fucking reception of, of coals. I'm sorry, your livelihood is about to be stripped from you. <laughs> um, one thing I didn't know, because I always shop on specials, like I'm definitely a sucker for specials, but that they're not even, that's not coals then reducing their profit uh, from something that's been supplied to them. The suppliers have to set their prices lower in order to then be like promoted as a special at, at Coles or Woolies. Did you know that? 
I did not know that. So when something's on special, the supplier is the mm. one that takes the hit on that? Yeah. Yes. Oh, my God. And there wasn't yeah. there stories of, of them jacking up the prices to then put things on special to bring things down to basically well, what the price yeah, was Yeah, like before. it sounds like that is actually coming from the the supplier's end in a way because they are like, well, right. the only way we can kind of stand out is to say, oh, yeah, our bottle of dishwashing liquid is normally $30, which no one would pay, mm. and then it's down to $15 instead of just setting it at, you know, about $20 or, or whatever kind of they want it to to end up as but the other thing like in terms of that internal promotion that competition to benefit from the platform and the power that that Coles and Woolies have this there was Four Corners spoke to this whistleblower who's like a, a supplier to Coles and how they would negotiate over a price increase so they come to them and say you know our our Costs have increased. We we want a five percent increase, and Coles would say absolutely not because of the impact on consumers. There's a cost of living crisis. We can't charge them five percent more. But then, ultimately, over the course of the the negotiation, it turns out no, they're totally happy to to push things up by five percent. The real issue was that they want a lump sum payment for internal promotion or a higher margin that they're going to pass on to consumers at, at the other end. And so they'll be like, yeah, we'll take your price increase and we'll pass that on to to consumers. If you also give us $30,000 to then promote your product in store, like, you know, you know, maybe in our magazine, maybe on Cole's radio, all of that, like it is. <laughs> Cole's the, radio. Well, just, yeah, they would come know, up and I be know, like, get your thing. fucking it's cherries. They're the I best. Know. They're from the Barossa Valley. I don't know. Does anyone listen to, actually, I mean, do, is anyone really listening to Cole's radio? Anyway, I guess. I'm, Apart from I, the bops, surely. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe you, like if they were like, special or like in season now over in aisle so-and-so you might be like oh maybe i do need nappies <laughs> thanks Coles radio please play yeah. another michael buble song thanks yeah and the problem is particularly on the supplier side they, they go into this a little bit is that there is this food and grocery code of conduct conduct introduced in 2015 where in theory you know suppliers can complain when they think that they're being screwed over by mm-hmm. one of the supermarkets, but it's not enforceable. There's no penalties. And so why would you bother complaining knowing that probably then there's going to be retribution, which is probably why Woolies has never had a single complaint make it to this, this arbiter. So they, they're meant to have an arbiter that they they appoint to handle complaints. Um, and those arbiters themselves were saying suppliers are frightened to complain because they fear retribution. Coles mm-hmm. has had like five, like they had none the previous financial year, five the, the, the previous and the question is whether, yeah, I guess this is one of the solutions then being put forward is do you just make the code of conduct mandatory and impose penalty or proper fines? I think it's Rod Sims, the the former ACCC um, commissioner, said that. Mm. Do you think, like, I, I mean, do we think that that's something that's likely to come out of these inquiries maybe that are being held at the moment? Uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, well, Labor governments love a code of conduct. People love a fucking a guideline. They do, but and a they love a non-enforceable yeah, conduct. Yeah, I mean, mm. I don't know if if anything seriously limits the power or the, or affects the profits of these massive corporations. You're gonna get you're gonna get a huge level of pushback and outrage. And I mean, I mean, already. Sorry, maybe we'll come to this, but I mean, yeah. um, isn't Albanese literally saying we're not going to break these people up because too many people would lose their jobs? He's basically just ruled that. Has out, he said no that? Chance. I didn't. I, I heard that. On, that. I think on the radio this morning. Yeah, it's just like yeah. Whatever. Yeah, well, when they when they were announcing these things, like they had a clip in the show of Jim Chalmers talking about, you know, what what this is all about is 
increasing competition, but how do you do that? Like maybe there'll be more incentives for, I don't know, smaller producers, who knows, but the show doesn't go too far into solutions. Like it talks about, yeah, a a mandatory code of conduct and kind of competition laws that goes into a little bit, but it it says, you know, politicians from all sides are now talking about taking on the duopoly. They say they're making all the right noises. It points out that there's currently, so this is the number for anyone who's known six inquiries and reviews, (laughs) even though I saw the cat, I saw Bob Catter saying something like 15, but maybe that's referring to over the years there have been 15. Right. And no real solutions. But yeah, there's all these inquiries and reviews, but like what will the actual outcomes be and will they include anything that will actually limit the power and, you know, profit-making um, ability of mm. these big corporations? One of the solutions that Rod Sims, uh, former ACCC head, said- Retired. Could- He's retired. Retired. Sorry, Yes. Well, you wouldn't you wouldn't impugn his integrity, would you, Tom? <laughs> Tom, you're walking out. Um, <laughs> this is on the record. But power, like increase ACCC powers to block mergers, which I guess would maybe prohibit a further expansion of their power. Um, mm. That's one solution. This is around the time where, yeah, Brad Banducci loses his his mind. Mm. Um, he has this weird moment. So right before the clip that you probably would have seen circulating, he's saying Aldi is really great and Aldi actually is doing so well. Like he's trying to argue that there's heaps of competition. He's like there's an Aldi in every community, there's yeah. heaps of IGAs, there's a Costco down the road. It's an incredibly competitive market, he says. And Costco, that's where- which is closed in uh, South Bank, by the way, like they've, they've just right. announced yeah, they're pulling I mean, out of- Come on, Costco, yeah. like- it's a fun yeah. adventure sometimes. You might find like a giant <laughs> bottle of popcorn, but like that's really it. You're not actually able to shop there for, for everything. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I guess what I thought is was, was really interesting though is why is there not, I still don't quite understand why there isn't price competition between Coles and Bullies because they, they lay this out. They say that like there's kind of a myth of, you know, there might be price wars and competition between Coles and Woolies and maybe it's cheaper to shop at Coles, cheaper to shop at Woolies. Um, but actually there, there really isn't. And in fact, they track their prices against each other so closely that mm. you'd likely to, you know, if you're getting the same things, it's likely to be within, you know, a dollar. Uh, like there might be a difference with specials week week to week at what if you're getting things that are on special, but mm. there's really no competition between them or difference between them on prices. Yeah, well, I but I assume those two prices being close to each other just slowly go up over time, right? Like it's in both their interests for prices to yeah. keep increasing, and so and there's so much money that they have to put into advertising campaigns that give the illusion of things being cheaper and sales and better value, when in fact they just want to. Uh, increase their profits as much as possible over time. Yeah, they they rely on the fact of them just they're just being two of them. They don't necessarily need to compete on on prices. They can sort of just compete on the most power and the most market coverage, which is I guess why they do things like you know buying up land and and land banking to just block any other um, competitors from entering into the market. Um, or they're now you know expanding into development. They will buy up blocks and actually develop them, give themselves a long term lease in a shopping center, for example, as an anchor tenant, and then they'll offload that you know, that asset, except then they've got that locked in exclusive lease for whatever, a hundred years to come so that no one else can actually get into the market. They don't necessarily need to be the best, which again, it kind of exposes, you know, like the, the, the fallacy of, of competition and, and, and the private market driving hmm. a, a better product or lower prices. 
all it's really driving is an increased concentration of, of power. Mm. Yeah, I th- saw someone posted, there's some like um, shopping centres where there's two coals in the one shopping centre or whatever, like they like we have oh, two really? separate supermarkets uh, are in there because they, they're buying that up and, and using that. And I guess you can enter from mm. one end of the supermarket or, or the other. And, yeah, I mean, wow. competition is like what does that actually mean in terms – if we were to introduce more competition, yeah. does that mean you would have – I mean, you would have to convert existing Coles or Woolworths into another uh, supermarket, right? Like you can't just keep all the same yes. number of Coles and Woolworths across the country and, what, build more supermarkets for the sake of competition? Is that really – do we think that's, A, ever going to happen and, and, B, is that really um, well, yeah, workable or is that, that, is that ideal really? Well, yeah. Okay. I mean, this is where we get into the question about what are the solutions? Like you could, one of the main things that the Greens have been talking about in particular is divestiture powers. Um, You know, so you could, you could set perhaps a a restriction on the market share at say um, 30% Mm. and the government and legislative power that, that the government has or the ACCC has to force the sale of of stores beyond that cap. So if you have more than that that market share, you actually do have to sell your stores to a competitor. There's also the idea of a publicly owned supermarket, which is perhaps more of a, you know, more of a dream, certainly um, not something that a lot of people are talking about seriously at the moment, but a competitor who is not motivated by profit. Because even as the Cole CEO says in this interview, she says it's really important that supermarkets are profitable. And it's like, what if you did have an entrant into the market who did not have a profit motive and then could be a genuine competitor because they're able to, like their their modus operandi is to deliver Mm. a good or, or um, yeah, to to deliver products to the people and they can do it at at cost price. Like would that be a, but it's, it is just such a massive kind of undertaking for a government Mm. uh, and it feels outside of the realm of, of possibility in the public imagination at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, a supermarket that actually passes the savings on to you. If if a publicly owned mm. supermarket did make profit, they could actually use that to reduce the prices. But that's not mm. what it's all about. Have you seen the? I think it was being reported this week the Catter Party, so Bob Catter's submission on the Senate inquiry into supermarket price gouging. I haven't. No, it is really interesting. This is one of those ones where it clearly is like it's you know you can kind of conceive of the Catters as this like agrarian socialist. <laughs> force because there's that intersection of like um you know big they they don't like big multinationals they don't like big corporations they are they're all for the farmers there's that real kind of impact on farmers angle um and it turns out they have been talking like credit to them have been talking about this for a, a long time i haven't actually read the Catter's recent submission in detail because I got distracted looking at looking for it with this submission that Bob Catter did to a previous inquiry in 2008 where he like outlines, you know, the impact of deregulation on like on particular products. So he goes through deregulation of prices of milk, eggs, and sugar in Australia. And it reminds you that actually once upon a time, those things were regulated. Maybe Mm. it's achievable. The other thing he talks about in terms of um, divestiture powers, I'm going to quote, I had never heard this before. This is a quote from the Catter's 2008 submission. Um, One of the most underestimated achievements of the Fraser Anthony government was the CITES Act. It was a head-on collision with the oil companies, Mobil, Shell, Caltex, and BP. 
The independent service station owners were being pressured out of existence by the big four. Government committees investigated, media did heartbreak stories on little blokes being bankrupted, petrol price rises hitting ordinary Australians were constantly headlined. He goes on, the coalition government legislated to restrict the big four to limit the oil company outlets to only 420 sites. There were then some 6,000 service stations in Australia. So that's like a really significant, they, they were saying that you can only have this many sites among um, for, the, for the big four and that would be a way of forcing them to, you know, mm. perhaps sell up some of their sites and, and enable more competition. Presumably this, it, the, the submission doesn't really go into, I'd love to read more about what the fuck happened to that because obviously that's no longer the case and we have just got mm. like the big four or even, well, now we've got Coles. We've got Coles. Fucking petrol stations. Like the irony yeah. of, yeah, this being an intervention that the government was willing to make in 1980 was when that mm. that um, that bill was introduced. And now not only do we no longer have any restrictions on market share for, for petrol stations, but we have the massive supermarket duality, duopoly entering into that section of, of the market buying up, you know, petrol stations because they just want to fucking do it all. They just want to run the whole fucking country, don't they? <laughs> Yes, yes, there will be there's yes, there'll be sort of a Coles will become Amazon. There'll be a Coles streaming service too soon, I'm sure. Yeah. So oh, absolutely. Yeah. And- so, so what is just to clear in my head, what is divestiture? Divestiture it would be would be a regulation compelling the supermarkets to reduce the number of supermarkets they have or to, yes. to, to increase competition? That's my understanding, yeah. So that you could you would have um, a, a regulate like the government has has a power or I suppose perhaps a body like the ACCC could have the power to force, to compel corporations to sell to sell their their assets, to sell right. like a particular share of, of the market until they meet a cap. So the cap, like the, the recent submission from Bob Catter on this this current Senate inquiry has proposed that as one of the solutions. He says there should be divestiture powers that restrict market share to 23%, which is pretty fucking low, right, like for the mm. big two supermarkets, and then the government would have powers to force the sale of shares above that cap. The other solutions that he imposes um, are things like anti-price gouging oversight bodies. That's kind of, I guess, in, in the vein of, you know, making that, that code of conduct conduct enforceable I suppose and having rules around like being transparent with suppliers and appeal processes for consumers as well if they feel like they're being ripped off he also this is classic cutters though like a five percent a blanket five percent tariff on all imports um which is just like classic protectionism right but but then his final, final, like, yes, those four proposals. The fourth is a maximum 100% markup on all produce, which is, yeah, that's a way of really directly being like, this is the, the problem is farmers being ripped off, producers being ripped off. And so the mm. supermarkets shouldn't be able to profit more than this, you know, more than 100% markup on that. So either they, if they want to charge more, they have to pay the growers more or they have to, to, to charge less if they want to keep you know, paying less to, to producers. I guess my question is, yeah, like what is the likelihood that that would actually bring down prices mm. unless you had some sort of, I guess, yeah, price caps on on essentials or price caps more broadly. Now, and has the Victorian Greens, I think, been making some noise around that? Because I also, I mean, also under, constitutionally, the federal government doesn't necessarily have the, the, the uh, constitutional power to regulate prices, right? But I think it's, Okay, it's someone said this. Yeah. yeah, they were saying that um, like it's unconstitutional to introduce 
price caps. And I didn't quite understand where that came from. Are they saying that it's just unconstitutional for state governments to do that? Like, is that possible at a federal level? Uh, the reverse. The federal government tried to get tried to change the constitution in 1948 to, mm. to be able to regulate and on, on rents and prices and failed in that referendum. Um, but I believe at the state level you could regulate um, the prices, uh, yeah, which okay, is why the Victorian that's Greens are sort of um, taking, yeah, putting that out there as to, on, on specific yeah. items at least, yeah. Yeah. What do you think the items should be? What's on your list? Um, whatever I want. Zupa dupers, um, avocados, <laughs> yeah. I like them. Um, I really like Pringles. yogurt. Maybe <laughs> some yogurt. Wheat bix. Surely wheat bix. <laughs> Cornflakes. I mean, yeah, they, the um, doco goes briefly into the whole thing that Coles did where it was like, we're freezing prices on these things and how then it turned out that actually they just hadn't. Like frozen, like they had actually increased the price on and it included things like cornflakes and they then had to pay back consumers who had bought this. But, of course, they only paid it back to people who'd, who'd bought online or who had whatever the Coles equivalent of flybites like an, had an account um, with the supermarket. And so anyone who'd actually just gone in like, most people would and, and bought them unless they go in with their receipt and say, hey, this is meant to be frozen. Can you refund me? Obviously, they still would have made, you know, a, a profit from that. And the Coles CEO refuses to say how much they had charged above what their commitment was and how much they had to repay to customers in the interview, of course. Wasn't there a moment when the interview was like, this is the textbook definition of price gouging and the Coles CEO just stares blankly in silence, just like a real, yes, you're yeah. not saying anything, Tony, we've got a vibe. She's much, yeah, she's much better. I mean, I would say yes, like she has probably got a better PR team. Like in their mind, they were like, well, you just staring at the camera isn't good TV, so they won't use that. But they they did use it. And so it is very strange <laughs> and very unnatural um, and quite funny. She's... Yeah, she's well trained. She's having to put bad TV to air. Don't you worry about that, folks. Yeah, it almost, <laughs> it almost makes me hate her more than I hated Brad Banducci just because you can tell she's so fucking trained and she's so, like, she's so much better at her job than him that it makes me feel like she's probably more evil. More evil. <laughs> someone, again, yeah. this is not my original take, but someone pointing out the fact that, again, this is the kind of journalism that you absolutely want the ABC to be doing because commercial yeah. media would not do this to the big two supermarkets because they are massive advertisers that pour yes, huge amounts of money such a good point. into the corporate media. And so thank God the ABC does exist without advertising so they can pursue these kind of stories. And we do not have enough stories mm. going after corporate behemoths in this country and holding them to account, for God's sake. So thank goodness they do. Yeah. And someone pointed out that's why his PR TV, like why he collapsed so quickly because he's so yes, because he's uh, not used, used to. to having anything like a yeah. tough interview to face. To, to, to. He's like, just take that out. I didn't like it. Didn't like it. Look <laughs> like, at my little name badge. Take it out Look, if, you like, if you like getting ads <laughs> or, you know, yeah, if you like getting ad revenue. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, I think it's it's worth watching. It was a good little little summary. I I think that, yes, what's what's interesting is that it kind of does, it, it it edges into some of the solutions, but it feels like we've had this real buildup of, we're still in like buildup of pressure. Mm. All Every politician from every party now is saying, yes, we, we want to take on the big supermarkets. We agree. It's not good. We want to do something about it. But like the fight between the actual solutions, we're not quite there yet. It's almost like I think about, you know, what's happened with the housing crisis over the last few years. We had this growing awareness of the fact that there is a housing crisis mm. uh, and there were all the, you know, there started to be, finally some news coverage of how that's impacting people. There were the sub stories, there were, you know, the human interest angle, but still no discussion of what the solutions are. Um, and then eventually, eventually we get to a place where 
that those questions come to a head and where they come to a head is are we going to make property investors lose out in mm. order to help ordinary people and again i think we're almost you know we have to come to a head on on that question when it comes to supermarkets soon mm. are we going to make shareholders lose out in order to you know are we going to cap prices are we going to introduce divestiture powers in order to help ordinary people who are just buy, trying to fucking buy bread like that is the question that the major party politicians i'm sure are not ready to answer yet and so they're kind of delaying with these inquiries but that's where we need to end up right mm. yeah totally Call to action this week, uh, the debate rages on, the negotiations or lack thereof rage on. Um, Max was on Insiders last week talking about housing, the latest bill, the help to buy bill, government scheme, how it will help maybe a fraction of people drive up house prices for everyone else. And what we really need to be doing is ending tax handouts for big investors. Mm -hmm. There's uh, the action this week is to basically contact, if particularly if you've got a Labor MP, contact your MP, ask them to, to support winding back or ending tax handouts for property investors. There is no doubt that Labor MPs will be looking, even though they say Albanese says they're not going to negotiate, they will be looking at what their constituents are saying. They care whether they have your votes or not. If you tell them that this is something that's important to you, that will, we hope, flow back into the negotiations process. There's polling you know, there is polling on going on this. It looks like Guardian has said there's, what, lukewarm support, so 44% support to change negative gearing, keeping in mind that only 21% oppose. Yeah, it's changing. bullshit. It's right? bullshit. You know, the essential yeah. poll, the essential, the, the essential poll and then Guardian reports on it. And the headline is like lukewarm warm support for negative gearing changes. I'm like, I don't know, 44% support, 21% opposed seems pretty good to me like yeah i mean like- it's true that it's not like they don't have majority support um but they definitely don't have support for for keeping them so no. that's that's quite clear yeah uh yeah hopefully labor is looking at the polls because there's been this long running myth that changing negative gearing is political poison yes they need to realize that that's not fucking true because they're fucking cowards and they won't do anything unless they realize that they'll be okay and everyone won't be too mad at them. Yes. So contact your Labor MP and tell them. Particularly if your local Labor MP is also your landlord, I think uh, get in touch and, and let mm. them know. I try to write a bit about how the Speaking fact of. that Albanese, right, his two um, rental properties are in his electorate. So if you're one of Labor's uh, Albanese tenants, your landlord your is MP also your local your MP landlord. and your prime minister. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Brutal. Jesus Christ. Please also rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening now, leave us a five-star review and some nice words. It'll help get the word out about the show and also make us feel good. Um, you can also support the show by following and sharing our stuff and, you know, liking and, and commenting and being nice on social media. We're at Serious Danger AU on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. You can find all links to the upcoming live shows and socials and all of that at seriousdangerpod.com. Email us at hello at seriousdangerpod.com if you've got ideas and compliments. And uh, enjoy. It's, it's, Sydney. it's Sydney Taylor Week this coming week, isn't it? So, you know, enjoy Taylor Mania in Sydney. <laughs> so bitter so salty <laughs> yeah no whatever it's fine it's fine i'm over it bye everyone <laughs> this is a serious danger